Well, it is great to be with you guys. I often brag about you guys, like um, you brag about the family member that's famous that you've never really spent time with. So, like, I, for example, I have a cousin that's married to a PGA golfer, and every weekend when he plays, I say, my cousin is playing this weekend. He's actually in top 10. I've never spent much time with him, but he's my cousin. That's how I speak to you guys. I am so grateful for what the the work God is doing among you. Every time I get to engage with uh, some of your leaders and Tommy, I'm just thankful for what's going on here. And I especially want to thank God for a couple of leaders among you that I've gotten to interact with several times. It's David Bonner and John Bada. These are men among you that care deeply about the students at this church flourishing, and they they seriously want to help students at Calston follow Jesus. John Bada loves students so much that this week he got in a van and drove 24 hours in a van to Arizona for a student and adult vision trip to Arizona. And those are the type of leaders you have among you. So if you're a family or new to here and you want what, what's going on with student ministry, they are in good hands. I thank God for these leaders among you. I just want to praise them in public for what they've done in, in this midst. So let me pray and we'll dive into the text this morning. Oh, Father, we pray to you this morning, needing your grace, because we've forgotten it this week. We come, many of us, on empty tanks, needing a fresh drink of water at the well. So, Lord, we ask you to speak through your word, because if you do not, we will get nothing from it. So, Lord, use your spirit through your word in your servant to speak. And may we learn, may we grow, and may we have a refreshed, renewed heart be sent out from here. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you're into conspiracy theories or learn much about, much about them, but if you get on the internet, there is a rabbit hole you can go down that is endless. So you learn about conspiracy theories, and basically these conspiracy theories are there's true statements that are popular that are questioned. So conspiracy theories come up because there's something that may be questionable, that we should question, so we come up with a theory of why it's wrong. And some of these, you go down this rabbit hole and you end up scratching your head and saying, maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't trust Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) And there's some that have no evidence that it's true or all the evidence in the world that it's false. For example, there's a conspiracy theory that argues that Israel has an army made up of sharks that have GPS trackers on them. That's a legit theory out there. There's a theory that says that cars don't really need gasoline. That's just a, a conspiracy between auto mecha- the, the people who make cars and the oil companies. So we're just giving them more money even though our cars don't need gas. It's a real conspiracy. Then you have the one you've probably heard, and if this is you, no intentions to shaming you, but there's people that believe the earth is flat. <laughs> this is real, and you, will, you, you live among these people. They are, they're, it's, a, it's a group. And even though there's every argument in the world, every evidence in the world that the earth is round, they're convinced it's flat. Well, we pick up in the book of John, 
Jesus is sharing the gospel over and over and over again with these Jewish leaders. And he's trying to convince them, I am the son of God. And these Jewish leaders were refused to believe this. Every evidence in the world to believe, yet they refuse. They refuse to believe. So what I want to point out in this passage this morning is the why behind belief. The why behind the belief. And John helps us by bringing four things out in this passage. Why people don't believe. Why people can believe. Why people should believe. And why people will believe. Let's dive in. Look at verse 24. Why people don't believe. So the Jews gathered around him and said to, said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, you do not, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. In verse 26, important verse. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So the Jews are coming up to Jesus again. They're like, okay, Jesus, spell it out. Tell us, are you the Messiah? Keep, stop keeping us in suspense. It's like, what are you talking Jesus? Like, what are you talking about? I've told you plainly. I've told you over and over again. He's directly referencing John 5 when he says that the works that I do are firm to give witness to me, being the Father's works, give witness to me. What, what other evidence do you need? I've spelled it out for you. Then he tells us why they don't believe, verse 26. But you don't believe because... You are not among my sheep. This is a sobering text. The reason the Jewish leaders can't believe is because their hearts have been hardened by their sin. They can't believe because they're not sheep. They're not a part of God's flock. It's a reminder for us that we believe not because we just one day decided to believe. God, before the foundation of the world, chose us in Christ to believe. Matt Carter, a pastor, said it like this. We do not believe in order to become God's sheep. We believe because we are God's sheep. This is... This is staggering. Before the foundation of the world, God had a flock in mind, had a group of sheep in mind, and he wanted to rescue them from darkness. This text clearly says they do not believe because they are not his sheep. I have a son do any day now, my first, me and my wife's firstborn. So if I get out of here, if I leave from the pulpit, Tommy's up, tagging him in. I'm gone to the hospital. Good thing we're at Community North, right down the road. But I love my soon-to-be son, my firstborn son, more than you guys, believe it or not. <laughs> and I've spent countless hours getting ready for this son. 
William Clay Cochran. I've spent hours getting his room together and spending um, several dollars because I love my son (laughs) and my wife. My son is my son right now. Right this very moment, he is mine. He has my affections. I'm not just spending resources and spending time and having anxiety attacks because I don't love him. Because he might one day become my son. Right now, he's my son. Friend, before you ever knew about Jesus, he chose you. Before you were ever born. You are part of his flock. We believe because God made a plan for us to believe. So maybe this lands on you this morning of that friend that will refuse us to believe. They will not come to faith. That child that's gone wayward that it refuses to come back that coworker that makes fun of you, that, that neighbor that refuses to come to church no matter how many times you invite them, and you walk away from those conversations with a burden upon you. Friend, the burden is not upon you. You save nobody. We save nobody. God saves people. This is why when Jesus says statements in the gospel, he says, let those who have ears Let them hear. God's in charge of opening ears. God's in charge of the shepherd, the sheep. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of Luke 15, when there's 99 sheep, but one goes astray. Even though that sheep is astray, it's his sheep. And he goes and gets it. Nobody loves saving people more than God. He'll have his sheep. Let that burden, let that yoke on your shoulders come off. You will not be convincing enough to win somebody to Jesus. I have a degree, I have pieces of paper that says I'm fluent in philosophy and apologetics, but those things in and of themselves will win nobody to Jesus. Only the Spirit of Christ can do that. Listen, if convincing people to believe was the only thing that mattered, Jesus does a really bad job. Jesus tells them over and over and over again who he is, and they don't believe. And if it's only about him being convincing, then we look at Jesus and say, dude, what's up? How, why aren't you getting them to be saved? Well, it's because they can't believe because their hearts are hard, and they're not God's sheep. So that's why people don't believe. Let's see why people can believe. Look at verses 28. Such rich and beautiful verses. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. I and the father are one. Man, what a beautiful text. And just a reminder, maybe you're new to Christianity and you've heard Christians use the word Trinity. Maybe you heard Pastor Tommy greet you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for many of us Christians, 
we think this Trinity thing is like a theoretical concept. It's great. Glad the Trinity exists, but it has nothing to do with me. Friend, this text plainly tells us the Trinity has everything to do with you. It says, Jesus says, my Father who has given them to me. So the, Jesus gives eternal life, but the Father gives them to Jesus. In your story, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are always involved. God the Father, before you were ever born, planned your days. Every single day that you would have, he ordained them to be. And he planned your salvation if you're in Christ. And the Son accomplished that planning. He went to the cross, he died for you, and he accomplished your salvation. And the day you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, made you alive. The Trinity rescued you from darkness. Friend, the Trinity matters. We are not just followers of Jesus. We are held in whole by the Trinity. So this is, this is, this is the gospel. So the question is, what, how is this implications for us? I want to ask you a few questions. Is this gospel the one you preach to yourself every day? That God rescued you and he holds you. Nobody can snatch them out of my hands. Is this the gospel you preach to yourself every day? Or does your gospel sound like this? Man, I blew it yesterday. Yelled at my wife. Swerved and honked the horn at somebody that cut me off. Was rude to my coworker. And I blew it. I got to make up for that. Man, I got to make Jesus love me more today because I really, I really messed up yesterday. Is that the gospel we preach to each other? I know it's one I tend to preach to myself. This balance that we must weigh out and we got to make sure our good outweighs our bad. Friend, that's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus says you were given life and you are kept. Friend, you are free from the sin. You're free from the sin you will commit. Jesus is not surprised by our sin because he died on the cross knowing about every single one of them. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't looking at us in the future. Man, I hope they don't blow this. No, 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 no. On the cross, Jesus was looking at every single one of us saying, oh man, they're about to blow this. They, they're, they're about to sin evermore. But I'm going to buy them anyway. I'm going to pay for them anyway. If you've adopted or you know somebody that's adopted, you know the pains and the monies and the, the tears that go into adopting. You know the long process The waiting, the waiting every day, waiting for that phone call. And you get your daughter or son and the joy that happens. But the paradigm of that is you do all that. You spend the thousands of dollars. You, you, You tear, you cry evermore knowing, knowing it's going to be one of the hardest things you ever do in your life. 
You don't even know if that child will love you. But you do it anyway. And some do it more than once. That's the Father's love for you in Christ. He adopted you, not because of what you bring to the table. People don't adopt saying, oh, I can't wait for them to help pay, pay these bills. No, no, no. You bring nothing to the table, and God loves us anyway. God loves us. You're free from the sin that's holding you back. You're free from the sin that you will not let go. You're free from the sin that you're going to commit this very afternoon. So instead of when that sin hits you, running from Jesus, run to Jesus, because he's not surprised. He said, yeah, I know about that. Bring it to me. I got you. I paid for that. You're free. You're forgiven. But not only that, you're kept. You're not only forgiven from your past, you're kept till the end. You're kept. God the Father and Son Jesus Christ has you in his hands. The Trinity, both hands are involved in your life. You're being kept every single day. So if you woke up a Christian this very morning, it's because God the Father is keeping you. He's holding you. And wouldn't, wouldn't many of us wish we knew this when we were younger? At 16 years old, I grew up in a really rural area. I played football, if you didn't guess. And I had a best friend in fifth grade that we were one of two boys in our class. We had several girlfriends. And we played football together every single day. My junior year, August, summer camp, I watched my best friend. I talked to him as he died. And at that very moment, I became what you might call a functional deist. I believe his God is good. I believe he died for us. I believe he did all these things for us. I just didn't think he was involved now because the God that's involved now wouldn't allow this to happen. Man, I wish I knew this passage then. That God is keeping us every single moment. God's sovereignty is not just a theoretical concept. It's what keeps us till the end. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1 says. We've been in Ephesians all morning. Let's read some more Ephesians 1. Verse 11. In him we've attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes that works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, be, be the praise of his glory. In him, we also, when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And listen to this, friend. Who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory? When you're saved, when you become a Christian, you're sealed and kept, which means God has you till the end. You don't wake up every morning hoping that you're going to make it to heaven. No, you're going to make it to heaven because God's spirit is inside you, keeping you every single day. So we don't live in fear. 
We don't create our Christian bunker, hoping the culture doesn't get in, hoping we don't get possessed, hoping we don't do this or do that. No, no, no. Fear does not control us if we're Christians. No, we have the power of Christ in us to conquer the world. That means for parents, it involves your kids too. As a student pastor, I've counseled so many parents terrified, terrified of what their kid might be like one day. Parent, you, you must, you must give that to Jesus. If they've genuinely put their faith in Christ, this verse is true. Nothing, 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 nothing can snatch them from his hands. Nothing. Bank on that promise from God right now in this moment. Nothing can snatch them from his hands. Maybe you're living that fear of what work is like tomorrow. Or maybe you're, you're here today going through that pain that I have no idea how to resonate with. You've been in that doctor's visit. You can't have a child. Your, your mom is going through chemo. And you have no idea how you're going to make it to work tomorrow. Listen, friend, God has got you. He is not distant. He's present. He's with you. He doesn't just save you, wind up the toy, and let you roll. No, God is with you in this moment. He will not leave you or forsake you. He is nearer. Just go to him. Just go to him. So why people don't believe, why people can believe, and why people should believe. Let's pick up in verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. This isn't the first time they've wanted to stone him, evidently. They want to kill him. They are mad about what Jesus is doing and saying. And Jesus answers them in verse 32. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not good, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So these Jews were not mad that Jesus was doing what he's doing. They're mad that he was saying what he was saying. They're accusing him of blasphemy. You're saying you're a son of God. That's, that's heresy. That's blasphemy. You can't make that claim. And Jesus answered them, verse 34, It is not written in your law, I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. And do you say to him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So Jesus thinks they should believe for two reasons, scripture and his works. And he points to scripture right here. So think, imagine the scene. They're picking up stones. They have their right hand back or left hand back, ready to chunk these stones. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. What about Psalm 82? Let's talk about Psalm 82. And what he's doing there is referencing a, a passage in the Psalms where the, somebody's called, you are, you are gods. And 
Scholars debate on what this means, but most of them reference that this is angelic beings. And here's what Jesus is doing. Your Bible says, references somebody being called God, but you're upset about me calling myself God? What's the big deal? He's saying, oh, wait, 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 wait before you stone me. Isn't it written in Psalm 82 that somebody was a son of God? Somebody was God's? And the Jews are like, yeah, he's right. Is, is that what I, it's not check, check, check that real quick. And he's using the Bible as a defense for not being killed. He's saying, your Bible even says that somebody can be so, called a son of God. Jesus is trying not to be killed in this moment. But he's also putting their Bible against them. Notice he says, notice he says, verses 34. Jesus answered him, is it not written in your law? When, he, when he's referencing the law in the past, he said the law. But in this passage, he says your law. This, this is a, trying to, similar to John 5. John 5 says, you, you search the scriptures because in them you think you find eternal life. But they testify to me. Then he later in that passage says that don't think that I will accuse you. There's somebody who already does, Moses. You don't need, he's saying this Bible that you've banked on, your whole life on, doesn't give you the right to stone me. This Bible is about me. It's pointing to me. Then he, he says, you should believe me because of my works. Look at verse 37. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, and that you may know and understand the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So here's what Jesus is saying here. That, okay, 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 you don't believe I'm the Son of God, but do some, what are you going to say about my works? Because I'm doing some crazy stuff. I just fed, a couple weeks ago, 10,000 people with a young man's lunchbox. Explain that for me, please. I'm healing people. I'm raising people. Next week, I'm going to raise somebody from the dead. Do, explain that. Even if you don't believe I'm the Son of God, explain my miracles. This reminds me of when I was in college, I was a philosophy major, and I would talk to many atheists in my classrooms, and I would try to get them, okay, if you don't believe in God, how did this whole thing begin? And they would give these arguments that made less sense in the Bible. Like, there's these aliens that did this. Like, wait, 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 where, where did aliens come from? Where did that get into the picture? We don't have evidence for those right now. And they give these long, drawn-out arguments that made less sense in the Bible. And I would say to them, man, your faith is incredible. Your, your reliance on these testimonies is incredible. I just think my faith is more objective than your faith that has very little evidence. What Jesus is saying here is like, hey, you're, you're having faith in something. You got to make sense of this. Make sense of these works. Jesus is saying here, you don't believe because you don't want to believe. You have every reason to believe, but you have no way to believe. I think they don't believe because they don't want the authority of the Son of God over their lives. The same temptation that Adam and Eve had. 
when Satan said to Adam and Eve, said, you will not surely die. You'll be like God. We all want our own authority. And what we must realize in the temptation of thinking that God may not be right is that the best life to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. You and me were created to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. That's the way the garden was intended. That's the way the Christian life was intended. Freedom is not doing whatever you want. Freedom is living under the rule and reign of Jesus. Doing whatever you want is chaos. A train is free when it's on its tracks. It's the freest a train will ever be, moving toward something on its tracks. A train rolling off its tracks is chaos. Friend, me and you off the tracks is chaos. We're made to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. We, being humans, were made to live for Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're rolling in here today because you're trying to find some semblance of a good life. And every road you go down has a roadblock. You go toward this. You go toward a dating relationship. You go toward marriage. You go toward all these things and they do not work out. And you come back to the same place to where you began and you feel just as miserable. And maybe you're in here today because somebody invited you, or maybe it's because you are trying to figure this out. And here's your invitation today. Put your faith in Jesus and live under his rule and reign. Put your faith in Jesus. He will have you this very day. Put your faith in Jesus, and you are kept forever. You're kept Maybe you're a Christian, you have those tendencies to think, Did, does the Bible really say this? But, but, but what about this? What about that passage? I want you to ask a question. What's underneath that question? What's, the, what's underneath that question in the Bible? And maybe, maybe it's, I don't really want God to tell me what to do. Every time you have that temptation, we all have those temptations. Every time we have that temptation, may we remember we were made to live under the rule of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want us miserable. He came that we may have life and life to its fullest. Jesus wants you to have the good life. And that life is found under the rule and reign to Jesus. When you find that detour option, May you repent and run from it and say, no, 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 no. This life is worth it. Keep running back to Jesus and finding the good life. So why people don't believe, why people can believe, why people should believe, and why people will believe. Look at verse 40, 39, pick up in 39, where it says, Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. You see, Jesus was an athletic guy. They put their hands on him. He shrugged them off like an NFL linebacker. And look what it says in verse 40. And he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And they came to him, and they said, John did no sign 
But everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So Jesus escapes the Jewish leaders after they try to stone him, and he goes away, goes across the river to a place where his friend John the Baptist had done ministry. And he finds people there ready for the gospel. He said, they looked at Jesus, oh, we've been waiting for you. John told us all about you. John was this man who led the way for Jesus. Me and my wife went and watched a movie this weekend, Aladdin, because we probably won't be able to watch a movie for a while together. We watched Aladdin, and in that movie, we see the genie leading the way for Ali into the palace. Here comes Ali, singing a song. I've been listening to the soundtrack all week, so, so I could sing it to you, but I'm not going to sing it to you. He's leading the way for Prince Ali, wanting everybody to know who's coming behind him. John the Baptist was genie for Jesus. He's leading the way. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Make ready your life. Jesus is coming. And when these people meet Jesus, like, oh, yeah, we're ready. Tell, tell us how to be saved because we're ready. And listen to what they say. John did no sign, but everything John said about this man was true. He wasn't cool or very extroverted or just this miracle person. They, they, they kind of diss him. Like, they kind of say, like, hey, this, this guy's like just a normal guy. He didn't do anything special, but he told us about you. He told us about you, he told us you were coming to tell us how to be saved and we'll become, and that's what happens. And many believed in him there. We have the same ministry as John the Baptist. We're not supposed to be this, this special person. You see these people that you, you may have dinner with them and they're sharing the gospel all the whole dinner with the waitress or waiter. Like, man, I just don't have that gifting. I'm not that guy. I remember having going to a gym with somebody and I couldn't work out with him anymore because he'd share the gospel with everybody around him. I was like, I gotta get to work. Great that you'd be able to do this. And then in that moment, I'm like, I'm just a just a horrible Christian. I'm not that guy. You felt that. You're not that gifted person to be able to share the gospel. There was nothing special about John. The guy ate bugs. Like he was nothing extravagant. Did no signs. You know why people came to Jesus because of John? Because of his holiness. He, he was nothing special. But he told us. He told us the truth. He told us that you were coming and how to find life in you. That's our mission, friend. That's our mission. We're pointing people to Jesus. And you, you may have heard this before. I've heard this before. Is that you're supposed to be Jesus to people. And you walk away from that statement, it's like, oh man, I gotta be Jesus to people. And you walk away with this big heaviness on your shoulder, and you're terrified of sinning. You're terrified of maybe you 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 get in a fight with your wife, and oh man, I blew that. My neighbor thinks I'm a horrible person. Now now I can't be Jesus to them. Friend, friend, you don't need to be Jesus to people. You need to point people to Jesus. Your your role as an evangelist isn't to be this perfect, put-together person. 
Your role is to be a person that leans into Jesus. The question would be for you, it's like, do, do people know me as a person who's dependent on Jesus? Do people know me as a person that is of character, that tells the truth? Do people know us as a person that says, I'm sorry a lot? That's what it means to point people to Jesus. What people need from us is our need from Jesus, not as a replacement for him. People will believe. Our job is to share the gospel like John the Baptist did. Yes, I know I said earlier that people can't believe in God. God opens their eyes, but at this very same time, People won't believe unless we share. So what do you mean, Zach? God sovereignly saves people, but he does that through people. He sovereignly saves people, but he does that through people. He uses me and you to save people. People will not be saved just because of your witness, but people won't be saved if you do not witness. When I was a kid, my dad started having me work for him on the farm at eight years old. At eight years old, I did not help his profit margins. I probably cost him a deficit. He did not gain money because of my employment. He did not hire me because of the benefits to him. He hired me because of the benefits to me. God uses us in the mission of Christ, not because he needs us. He can do whatever he wants, but he uses us because he knows what he'll do for me and you. He invites us on this mission. He invites us to share in his glory for our sake and the kingdom's sake. Our mission, the reason the church is on earth, is to make disciples, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. We're supposed to point people to Jesus. Our job is not to find who are sheep, who are not sheep. That's God's job. Our job is to point them to the shepherd. So may we point people toward the shepherd. And Revelation tells us it will be. Because there's coming a day when Jesus comes back. He will reign forever. And there will be Millions and millions gathered around his throne from every tribe, tongue, and language singing praises to his name. Not only can people be saved, people will be saved. I'm convinced that Jesus has not come back because of his patience for having more people coming to his kingdom. So may we be like John the Baptist that prepared people for the First coming, we may be people that prepared people for the second. When they meet Jesus, they said, oh, yeah, I've been told all about you. Because my friend from Castleton, my friend from my small group, my friend that was my neighbor, my friend that was my coworker. And may this church is baptisms be full, not just because of people finding an awesome church, and this is an awesome church. Maybe full because the people were such in love with Jesus, they couldn't help but share it with others. My prayer for you as a church, that you would grow beyond these walls to the nations, 
And the reason we plant churches, it's College Park family of churches, because we know there's people in this city that are sheep but don't know it yet. That God has people in the city. God has people in your neighborhood. God has people in your workplace that need to be told about Jesus. May God use you to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you have saved us and chose us before the foundation of the world. And you've given us eternal life and that you're keeping us to the end. Father, if there's somebody in here that's not put their faith in you, may they not leave these doors without doing so. May they find somebody maybe sitting next to them that they can learn how to become a Christian. But there's somebody in here that has a child that's wayward, that has gone through suffering unimaginable, and they feel you very distant. They feel quietness. They're longing to see you and saying, God, what are you doing in my life? Father, would you speak to them this morning? Would you draw near to them this morning? Just to remind them that you never left. Father, would you breathe a breath of fresh air to those hurting this morning and be a, a breath in ourselves as we leave from here to be on mission for your glory till the end. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.